0: Why don't you get your Bibles out, and I'm going to be reading momentarily just two short verses out of a book in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles. So I'm going to give you just an extra minute or two, because I know when we go to the Old Testament, if you don't have your technology with you, and you don't have a Bible with notches on the side, it can take a little while to get to the book of Chronicles. 1 Chronicles we'll be reading from in just a moment. It'll be chapter 4. As we continue our summer series that I entitled Unceasing Hashtag, I'll ask again, if you're on social media, have you been able to use the hashtag Unceasing? I hope so. Let people find it, be encouraged to enlarge and broaden their prayer life. And the reason we're doing this is because prayer is a biblical discipline which every believer must Notice it's in yellow with an underline. Must implement in their life. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to be certainly biblical, if you're going to be strengthened in your Christian walk, you've got to know that prayer is going to be a part of your life. It is a discipline. Is it always fun to do? No, not always fun. It's not always easy. It's easy to neglect, but it is a discipline ...that we have to begin to uh, put into our life. Corporate prayer, I want you to know, is biblical too. And uh, I believe both of these areas need to be recovered as normative Christian practice. Many people don't realize, but do you know that you can read through the Bible... ...and you can read this historically as well, that when God shows up for revival... ...or an outpouring or a moving of the Holy Spirit... Almost without fail, it is because his people gathered together and they prayed together. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, There was a group of believers gathered together. Uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, as you'll recall, they were were arrested and the church gathered together to pray uh, for their release. Uh, Peter was again released in Acts chapter 12. Because the church gathered together and prayed. In fact, when the church prayed that time and Peter was released and he showed up, he scared them because it was like, wow, our prayers worked. You know, like they didn't even anticipate that their prayers could be that powerful. And then, of course, I could go through the Old Testament. One of the greatest illustrations is Solomon's temple when God's people came together and they prayed and the glory of God showed up. So I want for the next few weeks as uh, both Bishop and I come to you and we begin to teach on this area of prayer I want to be able to at least show you some templates That can hopefully provide you maybe an outline that can help get you through your prayer time And there's several templates in the Bible Templates are are not one one, you know one size fits all There are different templates for different things, but all of them Are ways that we can find some help in strengthening our prayer life. Again, there's really no class. I never took a class in all of my uh, my college or my graduate school training, never took any classes on how to pray. I, I, never, I know there are workshops, but I never took a workshop on it. Most people don't. Um, but when it comes to praying, it's amazing to me how much we assume and presume when it comes to prayer. Um, I always and this is just a little side note and and I, and I don't contend over this point but I but I say it out loud because I just think it's something you need to chew on but nowhere in the Bible do I ever find people giving unspoken requests. Have you ever grown up in a church that gave unspoken requests? I did. I used to ask for them. And so they'd raise their hand unspoken request and and then sometimes we'd even pray and no one would say anything. You'd have sort of that unspoken prayer. <laughs> And I kind of smile at it now, and if that's your thing, I'm not here to contend with you on that. But it's hard to pray for your need if we don't know what it is. All right? That makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got a need, let somebody know. In fact, the Bible says you can even confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. And the second thing is, is that prayer actually involves you talking, speaking. And we talked about this last time about how words Activates spiritual reality you can't be saved by thinking right you are saved by confession of the mouth So confession activates certain spiritual things and so we're trying our best To put some things out here that will help you and help us as a church In our prayer life how many of you realize that if the original 12 disciples who followed Jesus around in the flesh heard him speak out of his own mouth, into their own ears, and they looked at him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I got a feeling those of us a couple thousand years later probably could use a little assistance ourselves. So let's humble ourselves and say, okay, I'm ready to learn how to pray. And I think this one's going to be a good one because we're going to talk about praying for prosperity because is there anyone in the building that has ever needed God to show up in your finances? I need, I, I've got some issues here, Lord. And anybody that starts getting nervous around money, let me just say this. Money, I, I, there's, aside from air, money is, is what most of us have to use to navigate life. It's what you pay your bills with. It's how you get your food. It's, it's, you make car payments, house payments. Uh, you, know, you send your kids to school. You buy their supplies. Think of how much of life is navigated by resources. And then we get nervous when someone talks about it when most of your life is surrounded by it. I guarantee you, if your boss didn't pay you next week your salary check, you would be aggravated if he looked at you and said, we don't talk about money around here. You'd say, we're going to talk about it now because that's my check. So, so don't get nervous. We're going to talk about this biblically. The offering's been received. I'm not receiving another offering. But you need to understand what God has to say to you about what it means to prosper in Him. And the best guy... I think in the Bible to talk about this is a guy by the name of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Very short, but very important. So let's look at this together. The Bible says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. If every mom did that, we'd all be named Jabez, wouldn't we? Verse 10, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And we're going to talk today for just a couple moments, Father's Day, about praying for prosperity prosperity is one of the most misunderstood confused abused twisted concepts in the body of christ how many of you know that there are preachers and churches that get pounded because they talk about prosperity and i'll be the first one to say out loud that it is abused it's confused people twist these things but have mercy people twist everything so I know there's, there's counterfeit instruction out there, but all counterfeit should say to us is this, that if there's a counterfeit, there has to be a reality because you can't counterfeit a non-reality. And so there's something genuine that you and I need to understand. If the enemy can keep you impoverished and enslaved to your circumstances, he can effectively shut down your destiny And frustrate the plan of God in your life. Is that not true? How many of you have said, if I just could have a little more resource, I could get on with the program? So obviously, resource has some place in your life. So let's understand the true meaning of prosperity. We tend to define it, most of us do. Unfortunately, we tend to define prosperity simply by money and wealth. But that is far far too narrow. I want you to remember what people in other countries who are preaching the Bible talking about these same passages and maybe they got to this Jabez passage today and they're preaching it in Central America or they're preaching it in, in Central Africa or in some impoverished area. You do realize that in some places in the world that if you have a few chickens, a couple goats, cows, if you have a roof over your head, and uh, you've actually got some cast-iron pots, you're considered to be a wealthy person. So understand, prosperity in America is not necessarily the actual definition of what it looks like to be prosperous. There are prospering people all over the world. They They may not be in the exact same situation we are, but prosperity isn't defined necessarily by how much is in your bank account. I know people that have billions of dollars, but they're impoverished. So prosperity isn't just about your money. In fact, prosperity encompasses many things, according to the Scripture. Prosperity encompasses your health. How many of you know you can have billions, but if you don't have your health, it doesn't mean much? How about joy? If you don't have your joy, listen, nobody cares about joy until they don't have it. It's one of those lovely intangibles that don't mean much of anything until we can't find it anymore. There's health, there's joy, there's peace. There's longevity of life. There's rest. I could give you many other concepts with regards to what prosperity in the Scripture really is talking about. And hear me when I say this. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. In fact, if I could talk to you about, you know, Father Abraham and all that he had. Abraham was a wealthy, wealthy guy. Lot was pretty wealthy himself. Job was wealthy. David was wealthy. You do realize Solomon was like the richest guy ever. And, and so we have these illustrations, even in the Bible, of people who had even great wealth. Israel, when it came out of Egypt, the Scripture says Israel came out laden with the Egyptian gold and silver and all of their stuff. Because they had to somehow fund their trip. Five million people had to fund their trip out of Egypt when they were let go. And God did this great transfer of wealth to them. And actually the nation was incredibly wealthy after hundreds of years of slavery. So nobody is against money. Anybody who says they don't need money is lying to you. Everybody needs money. Even the ones that give prosperity preachers a hard time. They need money. And God's word talks about money. But when we talk about prosperity, we're talking about mostly a quality of life that you enjoy as you're walking with God. That's what prosperity really means. You can have lots of things, and all those things don't necessarily fill all the voids that are in your life. Prosperity is a quality of life with God, And money is a tool to glorify God. Do you know why you have money? It's to glorify God with it in everything you do. That doesn't mean you have to give everything to the church or you give everything away to the guy on the street corner. That's not what we're talking. But your money is designed to give glory to God in all you do. It is a tool that you are given in order to To accomplish some of these things now i'm just going to read a few passages. We could spend all morning reading passages I just want to read a few to you as we get started today in joshua 1.8. It says the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it or Meditation means to begin to envision or to imagine day and night That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way what? Prosperous So if we obey the word of God, we can make our way prosperous and then you will have good success. Deuteronomy 8, 17, this is one of my favorite ones because it really addresses who we are as a people. It says, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Have you ever heard someone say this? I'm a self-made man. All you see around me, I've earned it all. I worked for it all. I worked 80 hours a week, endured three heart attacks, four wives, and I got all of this. I've done it all myself. Have you ever heard someone say that? God has too. But then the Lord says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. God's reminding us all this, that whatever you have, however much you think that is, great, small, however you evaluate it. Hear me when I say this. You're not there because of you. You're there because of him. And then finally, 3 John 1, 2, when we get into the New Testament, which which is valid, he says, Beloved, I pray, what? That you may prosper in what you know what that means in the greek all things yeah that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers so he he's praying that you in the natural would prosper just as your spiritual life would begin to prosper but the question becomes All right, the Bible says that it's available, but the question really becomes, is it appropriate to pray for it? Can we really pray this way? Can we really seek God in these matters? Can we get before him and say, oh, God, you know, prosper me. I I mean, it almost. Well, we'll get there in just a minute. It almost sounds like, man, isn't that blasphemy? Oh, no. Here's a key. There is no inherent virtue in poverty. If you really think it's virtuous to be impoverished, then you'll be the first one to run out of here and get rid of everything you have and go get you a cardboard box to live under a bridge. If that's virtuous, if that's what you believe, it's virtuous, then, then just lead the way. But nobody, nobody, in, intuitively, nobody believes that it's, it's virtuous. Now, are there people in poverty? Sure there are. And there are good people in, in, in impoverished situations. But the impoverished situation itself is not virtuous. That's why we work as a church, we would work as a community, we would work as a nation. I mean, there's a genuine, legitimate place for us to help people who don't have things they need in order to navigate life. So we believe that it's good to help those who are impoverished. Why? Because we know there's no virtue in being impoverished poverty however is not the lack of things it is not the lack of money or it's not the lack of stuff this is so important this is this is important for your personal life it's important for how we just look at all of life everybody thinks poverty means that they don't have poverty means they don't have listen in america the most impoverished person in America is still doing better than probably 90% of the rest of the globe. So so we don't even understand poverty rightly in America. Again, doesn't mean we don't help people. But I'm just trying to give context. Poverty is not the lack of things, money, or stuff. You're not in poverty because your neighbor's driving a Lexus and you have to drive a Chevy. All right? That's not. That's not... What it means to be impoverished. Poverty is the fear of not having enough. You need to marinate on that for just a minute. That means that people that don't have much by way of natural things can actually be rich. Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. But yet he considered himself to be a prospering person, even though he didn't always have much or he was sitting in a prison cell. So I know people that don't really have much by way of natural things, but they are prospering greatly in the quality of life they have walking with God. And I know people that have millions of dollars that are seized with fear. That somehow they will lose it, somehow the the, the stock market will crash, somehow it will be taken away, and what will they do without all of their stuff? And herein lies the key for us today, that, that to break a poverty spirit is to not simply get more money flowing your direction. To break a poverty spirit is to break off you the fear that you're not going to have enough. That's when you're impoverished. That's when we get greedy. That's when we hoard. That's when we become covetous. It's when we fear that we will lose what we have or that somehow God isn't big enough to get us what we need. That is what poverty is all about. I grew up in a church. I've said it before, it was the Church of the Nazarene. and uh, unfortunately, uh, in, in our church, because we just didn't have understanding, we esteemed poverty. In fact, we believed it was almost you were almost more holy to be impoverished. And uh, we had crazy legalisms that we grew up with. It was the old holiness movement and my wife can tell these funny stories and they really truly are funny when you grew up in the holiness movement you know the women couldn't wear earrings i know this seems silly but you know it's cuz it's jewelry and it's ostentatious and you know and you know my wife is the bling queen i mean you know but you can wear it and and there was these funny old sayings if it touched the skin it's sin you know so you couldn't you know so the women would wear these big brooches on their on their dresses or but they couldn't wear rings or earrings or Anything like that and you just you just you just venerated poverty and and the old joke was when you pastored in the church of the Nazarene was the old joke was was people had this attitude it was like Lord you keep them humble the preacher you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor and isn't there something in the minds of people that says somehow if you're serving God you just ought to be poor. If you're serving God, you just ought to be on the edge of bankruptcy at every moment. You ought to just be scrambling for morsels or whatever you get. You ought to be wearing threadbare suits and you, you use things. I remember we used to take missionary uh, uh, gatherings up to send things to missionaries. And it used to make me some mad because we would try to send them things. And we'd ask people to bring in, you know, whether it be clothes or items. And they'd bring in all their used cruddy stuff to send to missionaries overseas. And it used to just aggravate me. It was stuff that they didn't want, but because it was God's work, they were going to give God's servants, his missionaries, the worst. And it used to just bug the fire out of me. Why would we do that? It's because in our minds, we fear not having enough. I've told the story before. I've given away a lot of stuff out of my house, and God told me one time to give away a vehicle, and, and I had two of them, and I had one vehicle that was better than the other vehicle. And so I figured when God was telling me to give away a vehicle that I was going to give away my 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 worst one, my worst used one. And then the spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, "No, no, no, no. When you when you the Bible says that he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord." And God who is a debtor to no man will repay. So all of a sudden when God started to speak to me about this, I began to realize that what I was about ready to do here wasn't just giving somebody that had nothing, the cruddy stuff in my driveway, that I was literally giving this to the Lord. And so I had to give away my best. I'm just, I'm sowing these things to us because I'm breaking a mentality. Breaking a mentality. I'll never forget the time, this was several years ago. My, uh, my daughter, Kaylin, it's when she was still at home, so this had to have been five, six more years, seven years ago maybe. She she had this pair of shoes that she wanted for her birthday. It was a $100 pair of shoes. Now, now I realize $100 for lady shoes. You can buy ladies' shoes for $19.95, I guess, if you go to the shoe rack. I don't know. That's, I, I know ladies' shoes are, are tend to be less expensive than men's shoes. But, but she just had her heart set. I don't know whether it was a designer or the manufacturer, but she had her heart set on these $100 shoes. And of course, we steward our house. You'd probably like a lot like you steward your house. I mean, I, just don't, I can't just drop things and money just any old way I want. But this was something she, she had desired, and I knew it as a dad that she desired it. And so I was going to do whatever I could to get her these shoes. So we got her these shoes, and she was so excited, these $100 shoes. She was so excited that she took a picture of them and put it on social media. And people actually started to criticize her for being in a pastor's family and wasting this is what they said you're wasting the people's money listen if you gave that money it wasn't your money anymore it's god's money and it was her birthday present and who are you let me go through your house and let me see how you're stewarding what all god gave you I don't know that you'd want that kind of evaluation. And they, and they rained on her party. And I thought, that's poverty. That's a poverty mentality. Well, they ought not have that. That's just not, that's, that's not right. That's this, this. Hey, listen. The church generally has struggled receiving prosperity, and we've esteemed poverty. And the world, in turn, has used that to keep us marginalized and in our place. They do, they make fun of it. They'll make fun of, and I'm going to get to this in just a minute, they'll they'll make fun of the TV preachers who raise money, and they'll make fun of all sorts of things when it comes to finance. And why do they do that? It's It's to make us gun shy of going there, realizing that God's kingdom runs on resource too. And for us to do the mandate of the Great Commission, there's going to have to be some money flowing into the house of God's people and through God's people then into God's house. So what we do is we hear all this criticism from the world and then suddenly we feel like we've got to bow to the world when a pastor or a church or a ministry begins to prosper and we make fun of it. We say things like, oh yeah, yeah, those guys, those are those blab and grab people. Those are those name it and claim it people. And we sneer at the prosperity preachers. And I'm convinced it's less about theological accuracy and more about personal jealousies. In fact, there's been a recent criticism that I've had to be careful that I haven't fallen into, but I want to just make some some statements so I can untangle this thing through social media. There's been this great outcry that has gone against a a, a media minister by the name of Jesse Duplantis, who it says is asking people to pay for his $54 million jet. Now, I'm not asking for what you think about whether or not he needs a $54 million jet. I don't know if he does or he doesn't. But here's the part that really kind of gripes me. What Jesse said was never, send me money so I can buy a $54 million jet. He never said those words. If you'll go study it, you'll find out that the world will lie to you. That's never what he said. He said, would you agree with me? This is all he said. Would you agree with me? Because I felt like the Lord said, this is something that I could bring it in the ministry. Would you agree with me in regards to this? That's what he said. He never asked anybody for a dime. All he asked for was your agreement. And my question is, if you don't want to agree with him, then don't. I guess we'll find out whether God spoke to him or not, huh? And by the way, does anyone know, because I found this out the other day of another ministry that gets criticized a lot. What do you do with a ministry or a person who has literally given away themselves into impoverished inner city ministries millions of dollars? They have given away millions of dollars and God decides to bless them in an unusual, overwhelming, and abundant way. You never knew that they gave away a million dollars, but God... It says this, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he who is a debtor to no man will repay. So when God repays in an abundant way, the world criticizes their prosperity, never realizing their generosity. Now, why do I tell you this? I tell you this because, and I'll get to it at the end, there's a great shift that's going to take place in America and in the body of Christ. And we've got to learn to zip our mouths about prosperity because if you criticize prosperity, you'll be shutting the pipeline down to your own house. So we need to be careful in this regard. It's not that we're not discerning. It's not that there isn't an important place to evaluate everything scripturally. But we need to be careful. Rick Warren, I, I credit Rick Warren. Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He made hundreds of millions of dollars. You know what he did with that? Number one is he only lives off about 10% of all of his book royalties. He paid back his church all the money it ever paid him through 30 years of salaries. He set up all sorts of benevolent foundations with his money. But yet he gets hammered about being a prosperous guy. What do you do with that? You know what I think we ought to do with that? I think we ought to shut up. Joel Osteen's another one that gets hammered. I can't say, I know Joel's not theologically deep, and he's not precise all the time. I get it. But Joel doesn't take a salary from his church. He gives incredible amounts of money away, and God blesses him. In the simplicity of his message, God blesses him. And and we just need to understand, I am not a word of faith apologist. Those of you that have walked with me now over 20 years know that I don't think of all the labels people may put on me I don't believe that he's one of those prosperity pimps as one of them. But I'm just telling you that we've got to break our impoverished mentality and believe God for greater resource. If a person is practicing the tithe and above that generosity, why criticize if we believe God is actually working according to his word with regards to sowing and reaping. We criticize because we're jealous or covetous. And we need to rejoice with our brethren. And we need to practice what apparently some have already learned. And we need to break those mentalities, those strongholds, and press into righteous biblical prosperity. And Jabez Jabez unveils Some of these keys, how is his prayer, Jabez prayer, a template for praying for prosperity? I want to ask and I want you to be honest before the Lord. If God can get more resource to you, you heard what Wally said. And I'll tell you where he got it. He got it from me. But if God can get it to you, would he be able to get it through you? Can you can you honestly say that? If God gets it to you, can he get it through you? This is this is the pipeline question. This is why I believe good Christian people struggle. It's because it's because we can't we can't trust him for our daily bread. We can't trust him day by day by day by day that his principles work. Now, let's talk about Jabez. Jabez, interestingly, if you read those two verses, it's only two verses in all the Bible that speak of Jabez, but boy, can we learn a lot from those two verses. The first thing we learn is that Jabez was born in a house that was under a curse. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, number one, I know that because all of us, all of us were born under the general curse of Adam. So all of us have, through the years, been stained with the general curse of the garden. It's called original sin. All of us are stained with it. Nobody gets out of it. That's why we need to be redeemed. It's because of the curse. But, but even saying that, it, the curse is broader than that. They, they insidiously curses, insidiously dry up God's people. And for many of God's people, we are under curses, not even realizing we're under them. But here's the good news. We can break curses. Now, there are two specific curses that are circling Jabez that I can pull out of these passages. Two specific ones. The first one is this. It said that Jabez was more honorable, if you'll read the text again, was more honorable than his brothers. So his brothers, obviously, are practicing dishonor. Are you following me? What does that mean to practice dishonor? Well, we don't know, but we can surmise several things that I know would be on target. Dishonor means that things that need to be honored in an appropriate way are not happening. And the Bible tells us that if we dishonor those things that are to be honored, that it produces a curse. For example, if we dishonor our mother and father, because it's in the commandments that we're to honor our mother and father, right? We're to honor our parents. Now now again I'm not, I'm not preaching on honor today, so there, there are things we might have to talk about but but to dishonor parents is to open your life up for a curse. God says you can't dishonor in that way. you can't dishonor authority as well. There, there, you can't dishonor the Lord, and a lot of times we won't honor the Lord with with whether we're practicing the tithe and our giving or we're dishonoring the Lord with. Our our attendance upon the means of grace, which is the table of the Lord, or whether we're in the house of the Lord. I mean, there's all sorts of ways, biblically, to bring about dishonor, but it says that his brother, so the culture of the house was one of dishonor. His brothers were practicing it, but Jabez refused to capitulate to the culture of his house or to the culture of his siblings. Everyone else may dishonor. Everyone else may do things wrongly. Everyone else may not listen. Everyone else may not think this is right, but I'm going to do this right. So that's the first thing we know about Jabez. Now the second thing, and I'm sorry, ladies, uh, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to just kind of, I'm not picking on moms. I don't know that a lot of moms do it, but unfortunately his mom was doing some things wrong, but his mother spoke a word curse over him. She called his name what? Jabez. Jabez means... Pain. Now, anybody that's a parent to children has at some time in their life looked at their kids and said to themselves, You are a pain. You are a pain right there. That's you are a pain. It's just that's the nature of kids, it's the nature of parenting. But hear me when I say this, this is beyond just those moments where we're exasperated with our kids. And all of us guilty. We've all been exasperated with our kids. This is beyond that, because of her pain in childbirth, however that manifested. Because of obviously uh, he was not the only child, but she, she was. You don't in, in the Hebrew you never named your children, you know, necessarily right away. Sometimes you would you would allow even days to go by before you'd name your child, because a lot of times the name was actually a prophetic statement made by the parents with regards to their children. So there are certain names that have prophetic significance. That's why in the Hebrew, when you study names, it's so important. Joshua, for instance, the name of Joshua means mighty to save. Isn't that prophetic? For Joshua helped bring the promised people out of, along with Moses, out of Egypt, and he got them into the promised land. So, you know, Peter means, means you know, rock. He was the rock. He wasn't originally a rock, but he became the rock. Saul's name had to transition from Saul to Paul. And we've talked about Hebrew names before and how they have a prophetic, a prophetic implication. I'll never forget Isaiah's son. They named their son the longest name in the Bible. Hash Hashbaz. That was his name. Could you imagine being in kindergarten, being asked to write your name out? What's your name? Hash Hashbaz. There you go. It would have, it would have taken Hash Hashbaz half the day to write his name on the paper. That was his name. You know what it meant? It meant quick to terrorize. (laughs) How would you like to uh, babysit for Maharshala (laughs) Hashbaz? These things had significance, but here's here's Jabez's mother declaring over him, "You're going to be a pain." So hear me when I say this, the the environment of his household, the word curses that were going over him, for Jabez to have a chance, he was going to have to overcome some curses that were landing upon him and a curse by its nature. Listen, the blessing means to prosper, but a curse means to be made barren. Literally, that's what the word in the Hebrew curse means. I believe it's If I'm not not mistaken, it's katara. Katara means to make barren. To make barren. And and so when a curse comes towards us, its whole purpose is to cause you to be barren. It's to cause you to dry up. It's to cause nothing that you lay your hand to to prosper. And so Jabez had to overcome that. In fact, before we talk about Jabez, how about you? Have you ever felt like you've been word cursed? Everybody's going, oh. Come on, you, you'll never amount to anything. You're an idiot. You're stupid. I mean, I could go through all these things. Uh, sometimes they're just set out of anger and, and, and sometimes they can go right past us. But every now and then they stick. There's curses over churches. I remember when Legacy started. We are 16 years old this year, 16 years old. I'll never forget there were people who, when we started church, I know they called up and told me, you'll never last two years. You'll never last four years. You're going to go under. I've had people come, and, and, and they've experienced, and then they'll walk away, and they'll go, your worship is dead. Your church is dead. Church isn't going anywhere. Even when we came over here to this location, right here in this building, had people say, oh, no one will ever see you. You're behind that other church. No one will ever see you. Listen, they're all word curses. I don't know any other way to say it. They may have been well-intentioned. They may have thought they were giving me some great advice or something. Their wisdom. The fact of the matter is they're word curses. I've had word curses come to me through the years. They look at me and say, nobody's ever going to hear from you again. You're going to go on the backside of the desert, and you're just going to die back there. You're unteachable. You're unmanageable. You're arrogant. You're a cult leader. You're a dictator. You name it. Come on, name you name anything you want. I've already been called it. And hear me when I say this, all of these are word curses. Some of you, you've had bosses and parents and maybe spouses and kids and all kinds of things and you're crazy you're slow you'll never learn you won't go anywhere our family will always be our our family will always be in this impoverished area of town we'll always live in section 8 housing we'll never press through we'll never have any money this is just the way it is and we've got generations to prove it and i'm telling you there has to be a generation that breaks that stuff over them And whether anyone else does it or not, I'm going to do it. I want you to do it too. So how about it? How did Jabez break the curse? How did he do this? It's just two little verses that probably ought to be tagged in your Bible. How did Jabez break the curse? Number one, he asked for a blessing. Have you ever asked for a blessing? Doesn't that almost feel funny to say that? He's saying, Pastor, you can go before God and get before God and literally ask for a blessing. Apparently, Jabez did. He said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Now, hear me when I say this. There's certain, I think, built in assumptions. One of the assumptions is this. God isn't going to bless you. Just so you can go accrue more stuff. And that's all there is about your life. It's, I'm just going to accrue more stuff. I'll let you in on a secret. He who dies with the most stuff doesn't always win. He who dies with the most stuff still dies and someone else gets it. Yeah, Exactly. Can't take it with you. Remember the parable Of the guy who was blessed and all he did was build bigger barns and say, soul, take thine ease. And then Jesus said in the parable, he said, it was the Lord himself who said, thy soul is required of you this very night. He had everything he wanted to where he could just stash it away, and it did him no good. In fact, he didn't didn't live as long as perhaps he could have lived. His longevity was cut short. You know why God will keep you around for a lot of years? It's because he can count on you that if he blesses you and he can get it through you, that he wants that to keep going for a while because there's so few people that do that. Ask for a blessing. Read the Bible about what the blessing is. Deuteronomy 28, we quote these things over over us and over our church and even as we receive offerings. Ask for the blessing. Lord, I'm asking for a blessing, not just so I can be blessed, but that's fun. I'm not denying that blessing is fun and and, and God's not against you having some nice things. I think He likes you having a nice vehicle to get around in. He's got nothing against a good home to live in. God's not against these things. What He's against is simply us fearing and hoarding and coveting and jealousy and somehow believing that if I let this go, somehow God can't get it back to me. The Bible says that if you'll cast your bread upon the water after many days, it will come back. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we believe these things in faith and break fear, God will begin to move this in all of our lives. You've got to believe it. Ask for a blessing. Lord, I'm asking for a blessing, not just, not just for my needs, but that I could actually be one who could be a blessing for others. So is it okay to ask for a blessing? Yes, you may ask for a blessing. But, but check your heart if you're asking for a blessing just so you can get the stuff, you're going to be in trouble. It's, it's the heart that says, listen, if you, if, you, if you get it to me, you can get it through me. The second thing he said was this. He began to ask for enlargement. As you'll recall in the text, it said that you would expand or that you would enlarge. Actually, it was his territories or it was his lands. He was asking, enlarge me. Now, what does that mean? This is all in in the arena of prosperity. Ask for enlargement means that your influence or your impact for kingdom purpose would be expanded remember our life is not our own it's not all about you it's not all about me it's all about him it's all about his kingdom once you were born again you are translated the bible says not translated transferred from the kingdom of darkness from the domain of darkness into what the kingdom of his beloved son so when you were born again if you say that you're saved and you are born again You were transferred from the world and its darkness into another kingdom, even now. And you are here not for your own purposes, but you're here for kingdom purpose. You're here to be a part of God's redemptive, salvific plan with regards to the earth. You are here to impact. You're here to influence. And all of our influence areas will be different, and all of our influence areas will be of different, I suppose, scope and impact. But the fact of the matter is there is nobody here under the sound of my voice or listening through online measure that you do not have a peace and a plan under God in order to do something for impact, just like Jabez. That's why you're prospered. God prospers you in order that you might be used in greater purposes for him. Then he says this. He says, number three, he says, I'm going to ask for favor. He actually prays in the text, oh, that your hand... Might be upon me. Oh, that your hand might be upon me. That's what he's literally asking for. God, would you favor me? As I started reading the prayer of prayer Jabez again, I thought to myself, I read this, and this is so foreign to us today, but it's in the Bible. You can't get away from it. It is in the Bible. This guy is saying, Lord, do these things in my life, uh, and, and we'll get to the reason why, In order that, God, you might use me and work through me. I'm praying for favor, favor at my job. Do you ever pray for that? Those of you that are are working, you need to pray for favor at your job. You need to be praying for favor with your boss. Lord, give me favor. Give me favor. Um, We pray for favor. Trace is working, and so we pray for favor. Lord, give, give her favor. Give her favor with her bosses and the people. Give her favor pray for favor why because because his kingdom works through favor and 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 the truth of the matter is your words or your prayer is what will begin to activate these things now again we've already been preaching that all of our plans and all of our our our, our deep carnal tendencies need to be torched on the altar but as they're torched on the altar god's not torching them just for just for the, the fire's sake or the Or watching the bonfire just for your character. I mean, that's all important, and your character is important, but he's torching it in order that the fullness of his purposes can come upon you and his plan can come upon you. These are the things that we are mandated as the body and the church to do. Ask for favor. God, give us favor. Give us favor with everyone we come in contact with, no matter who it may be. In Jesus' name. And finally, number four, he says that he asks to be kept from evil. Isn't that a good one? Ask that he be kept from evil. Actually, I think if you'd read it in the original language, and some of your versions may actually say it out in the out in the margins, but I think he said that I I think the literal Hebrew really reads, and that I may be kept from being a pain. Is that what it says in the King James? Isn't that interesting? This is what he's saying. He said, I know my mom prophesied that I would. I would be a, a pain, a, a pain instigator, a pain initiator. My mom named me that; she named me pain. But now I'm praying that you'd break the curse of my name, and you'd redeem it, and that I'd be kept from doing that very thing. Listen, I know it's simplistic. Sometimes there's a little more to it, but but that's a great place for you to start, for all of us to start, in order to break these curses over. Your life. I'll just give you examples. Let's say someone looked at you and said, You're dumb, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. How do you pray? You say, Lord, I pray right now that you would not only keep me from making dumb decisions and being stupid and all the other things that have come, but I break that and, and, and I speak right now that I have the mind of the Lord, I have the wisdom of the Lord, I have the favor of the Lord. And even when I don't know it, I have your favor that as I'm making decisions, that favor is going to show up in Jesus' name. You've got to say that out loud you got to break the curse. you got to begin to believe God as you're speaking that, calling those things that be not as though they were. You've got to begin to believe that God is moving and can doing these things. And the Bible says at the end that when Jabez prayed this prayer, that God granted what he prayed. Now, here's the deal. The Bible again says that he is no respecter of persons, right? And if he'll do it for Jabez... He'll do it for any one of you. But here's the deal. you got to do it. Now, this is what I would suggest. I would suggest maybe you writing Jabez's prayer down or copying it, putting it in front of you. And, and if you're not very good at praying or not very good with templates at first, just keep it in front of you. And you could just make his prayer your prayer. That would be a great place to start if, if you feel like you're inept in praying. But if you feel like, well, I kind of got a handle on how to pray, then you can use his prayer as your template. And take those, just start with those four things. And every day in your prayer time, you can ask God for a blessing. Bless my household. Bless my marriage. Bless my job. Bless me in my comings and goings. Lord, bless me in this regard. Bless me with resource. I tell you, if you'd release resource... What I could do for the kingdom with this resource. And I, and you know how you can trust me? It's because what I have now, I'm demonstrating it. This is where we begin. Now I'm going to finish with this last prophetic utterance. And then we're going to wrap it all up. And it's this. There is coming, I'm prophesying to you now, there is coming a shift. Especially in people's finances. I don't know about you, but... Can I just say amen? Does anybody else need a shift in some financial matters? All right. I, I don't know of anybody. I, I could have a billionaire in here, and they'd probably go, yeah, I could use a shift in that. <laughs> But I know for most of us, unless there's a secret billionaire here, there is coming a shift in finances. What do I mean by that? I mean that there's going to be a last outpouring of God. There's going to be a great revival It's going to have to be accommodated. It's going to have to be facilitated. It's going to have to be discipled. There's a lot of things that are going to have to happen. It's going to happen swiftly, quickly. It's going to happen just really amazingly. But when it happens, here's the deal. God's people are going to have to mobilize, and we're not going to be able to mobilize unless a shift starts to happen in the way people are resourced. I believe there's a great shift coming in the earth. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe this more strongly. And again, I don't preach on prosperity all the time. But in Proverbs 13, it just leapt up to me, and I still believe it to be true. It says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, your grandkids. But then it says, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And here's the shift. There's coming a moment that God, again, God is a God of mercy and compassion, but he's also a God of justice. And there's going to be this supernatural shift, and I don't know exactly how it's going to take place, but there's going to be great sums of wealth that have been stored up, that have been used for unrighteous purposes that are suddenly going to be transferred. You say, how's that going to work? I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but it's going to happen. Somehow it's going to happen that it's going to shift and it's going to come into righteous people's hands. And at the moment it comes into their hands, here's the question. Will we all run out and buy beach houses? Or do we understand that if we're part of that shift, that God has something he's doing there, again, doesn't mean you can't, you can't enjoy the blessing of the Lord. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we've got to get really spiritual again. And we've got to get, begin to seek God. And begin to ask him, Lord, you sent some unusual resources. There's something I'm supposed to do with this. It doesn't always have to be church either, by the way. There's a lot of things that I've done by giving away and being benevolent and generous that had nothing to do with legacy or this church or any church. I just being a benevolent person. But hear me when I say, and then I stumbled across this passage in Job. Can anything good come from Job? Because here was a rich guy. Job was a rich, rich, rich guy. All of a sudden, it's all taken away. Most of the book is dealing with him figuring out why all this happened, him getting sometimes really, really bad counsel from his friends. And he's beginning to work through what's God saying, what's God doing, and he's trusting God at least as best as he knows how. His wife looked at him and said, you need to curse God and die. His, his kids have died. It seems like everybody's left him or pounding on him. And in the middle of this book, from this once rich guy, who's now working through it all, there are some passages that came up that really caught my attention. And he starts to talk about the unrighteous, or what he calls the wicked. And this is what it says. It says, this is the portion of a wicked man. So he's talking about unrighteous people here. This is the portion of a wicked man with God, and the heritage of the oppressors received from the Almighty. This is what he says that God's going to do with them. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. And his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. This is what he's saying. He's saying these wicked people, this is what God's going to do. The wicked will end up having their children uh, 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 grabbed and pulled into really military service, into warmongering. And then it says that even though their needs are supplied, which is basically what he's saying there, the kids aren't even going to be satisfied because their needs are supplied. Why? Well, because they live with probably opulence their whole life. Then listen, he says, those who survive him shall be buried in death and their widows shall not weep, though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay. Listen, he may pile it up, but the just will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. Did you get that? Did you catch that? This is what he says. he says. He says, there's coming a day when God looks at all that inequity and the injustice of it all. And again, God's not against the rich. God's not against wealthy people. There's plenty of wealthy people in the Bible that were righteous and used by God. But he's looking at the, the wickedness that can come oftentimes with wealth. And he says this is what's going to happen. is that God's going to look at it. He's going to give them to their own devices. And they're going to be thinking they're doing something with it that they're going to be able to keep it. And God's going to pick it all up and he's going to transfer it. Somebody else is going to wear the clothes and somebody else is going to get the silver. What the Bible says. How many of you remember the parable? I really am closing now. (laughs) This is my first closing. There's about three closings usually. You remember the parable of the people who were given the talents or the minas? There's there's a passage in Matthew as well as Luke. They're very similar. Minas, one's minas, and one has to deal with uh, talents. And in the parable, the master gives each one different amounts of money in order to invest or to work with as he goes away. And when he comes back, he wants to see what they've done with it. And in both of those parables, the last guy that gets the money, he lives in fear. Remember the parable? He's fearful. He says, I knew you to be a hard and austere master. So what does he do? He buries it, doesn't he? Now hear me, what does he do? He he buries it, he hoards it, and why does he do it? He does it because he's fearful, which means what? He's impoverished, right? The master comes back, asks everybody what they've done with it. When he gets to this last guy and says, what did you do with it? And he hears what he's done. What does he say to him? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. He uses the term wicked. Just like Job did. Wicked servant. And then what does he do? He says, I'm going to take from you and I'm going to transfer it. Right? To another. Those are three passages right there. I just gave you. One, two, three. God is going to transfer great sums of resource. Some of it will be money. Some of it probably will be... Stuff, and I don't know all that that could be. But there's going to be this great transfer that's going to take place. that has been stored up, it's been put away, that everybody thinks is safe, but they're living in fear. And the Lord is saying that the day is going to come when my presence will again enter the earth, and I'm going to take that from the unrighteous, and I'm going to transfer it to my people. Now hear me when I say this. I am you know we've been praying more lately and I just feel the press of the Lord. If God were to drop great wealth upon our household, I want to make sure that I am in a spiritual position that when that great wealth comes that I can say glory to God. What kingdom thing can we do with this now and not just what am I going to go buy? How about you? These are the days that you and I have to position ourselves by our consecration, by our generosities, by all the things that we know are right before the Lord to demonstrate that when that moment comes, and it will come, just as sure as I'm standing here, that day is coming. I, I sense it in the earth somehow or another that's all going to transition. And when it transition transitions, uh, I want us To be prepared. Some of you right now are really going to be conduits of great means. So I want you to keep yourselves on the altar. Keep yourselves consecrated unto the Lord. And when those moments happen, be encouraged. Be blessed. Enjoy what that will bring you in life. But do not forget the Lord and his kingdom purposes. Can you pray for prosperity? The answer is yes. If we pray out of a good and right heart. Let's stand for just a minute. I'll tell you what I want to do in these last moments.